And thanks for joining us today on the Darren Woodson Show. Uh, we are all very excited, but I would say uh, me especially uh, about uh, this two-part series that, that we're about to release uh, focused around a topic um, that is is really uh, important to me, um, and and I've been a part of uh, a serving in the in the fight against this uh, since 2012 uh, alongside my wife Tiffany. Um, but what we want to do here, and, and just to prepare our listeners for these next two episodes, these are these are going to be graphic conversations. So if you have little children that do like to listen to Darren cuss all the time, um, <laughs> you might want to uh, you might want to just prepare uh, to maybe just turn it down and listen to it in private because the topics that we're going to be talking about are, are pretty sensitive, pretty graphic, uh, but absolutely essential that we discuss and. Absolutely essential that we address as a community, uh, especially uh, in the times that we're at right now, which we'll get to later in the episode. Uh, but the topic that I'm referring to uh, is human trafficking and even more specifically sex trafficking. Um, uh, we are really, really lucky uh, to have Matt Osborne uh, join us today. And I'm going to read his bio because his story is, is very interesting and we're going to get into that. Uh, but I don't want to miss a couple of the points on his background and, and where he came from uh, and his credentials. So, uh, Matt, first of all, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we're really, really excited about, you know, really what you're going to share with us. Thanks, Tyler, Darren. Really appreciate this opportunity. Of course. All right. So I'm going to read your bio really quickly. Uh, Matt Osborne has been fighting the crime of human trafficking in some form since 2006. He currently supports the anti-trafficking nonprofits, uh, the Nazarene Fund, New Friends, New Life, and Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, before joining these organizations, Osborne served a 12-year career with the CIA uh, and the U.S. Department of State. Uh, where he worked issues related to terrorism against the homeland, illegal narcotics, organized crime, and human trafficking. He regular, regularly provides secrets and analysis to U.S. presidents, senior cabinet officials, and the National Security Council. Uh, in his role as a foreign service officer and diplomat, Matt served overseas, uh, overseas tours in Madrid, Spain, Caracas, Venezuela, and Mexico City, Mexico, and organized official visits for former President Obama, Vice President Biden, and Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Uh, with Operation Underground Railroad and the Nazarene Fund, uh, Matt has led a total of 16 undercover rescue operations that resulted in the liberation of 178 oh, human trafficking victims and in the arrest, and this is, this is big, the arrest of 55 traffickers. He has also helped oversee an organization uh, that has assisted over 5,000 displaced Christians and other religious minorities in Syria and Iraq find new home countries uh, where they're free to live in safety and practice their faith openly without fear. Uh, as, a, as the head of the Men's Advocacy Group, uh, which we'll talk about uh, close to me, uh, and New Friends New Life, he coordinates the activities of 100 men in North Texas as, as we, as men, mobilize to take action against sex trafficking and exploitation of women and girls by raising awareness through advocacy, education, and volunteerism. Matt holds his bachelor's in uh, international studies from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and his master's in international policy studies from the Monterey Institute of International Studies in California. He's been married for over 20 years, has two daughters, 
uh, and who give him the drive to fight child exploitation and human trafficking uh, and assist uh, persecuted and assist in persecuting people everywhere. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. And first, before we even thank you for all that you do, continue to do, and have done. Well, thank you very much. You know, they say that there's an inverse relation between the length of someone's bio and how important they truly are. So that was a long bio. I'm not very important, but the topics are. And this human trafficking, and again, it's a tough, tough subject. And I think that those in your audience, some may know very well what it is. Some may unfortunately have been affected by it. Others may have just seen the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. Mm. And I hate to burst bubbles, but I'm nowhere near as cool as Liam Neeson. So I apologize in advance. But just to think about what are we talking about today? To put it in perspective, I believe the darkest chapter in our nation's history was the transatlantic slave trade. Absolutely horrible what we did in that time. But when you look at just the numbers from when the first slave ships left the African continent in the early 1500s through the 1880s, the Emancipation Proclamation, the Civil War, the best numbers I've seen came uh, from the transatlantic slave uh, trade database. There is a database uh, run by an institute out in California. That total 400-year period had 12.1 million people, which is horrendous. Populations were smaller, even one person's too many. But think about this today. Conservative estimates suggest, and this is Department of State, United Nations, International Labor Organization, there may be upwards of 30 million or 40 million humans today in the year 2020 in some sort of bondage, forced labor, indentured servitude, commercial sexual exploitation, organ harvesting. So just to get these numbers is something I think it's important that this exists today. We always say slavery did not end with Abraham Lincoln. And then thinking about the money. Estimates of this whole industry trafficking, $150 billion with a B, of which $99 billion is the global sex trade. And for your viewers and listeners in Dallas to think, $99 million a year just from the sex trade in Dallas. And it's estimated by the University of Texas, over 400 teens being trafficked every single night on the streets and online in Dallas, Texas alone it is just mind-blowing it is absolutely staggering the the global number blew my mind and i've heard i've heard numbers up to 49 million and so again it depends on what study that you're talking about but the idea that there are you know 50 million people globally that are still enslaved in in whatever form that is whether sex trafficking forced labor whatever that is um, but really, I want to draw attention to locally that the numbers that you just gave us about the amount of people that are trafficked in the city of Dallas, and and this goes on in Miami, this goes on in Los Angeles, this mm. goes on in Seattle, this goes on in New York, this goes on in Columbus, Ohio. This is one city, yes, a major metro, but one one metro. This this happens every single night. And, and I want you to talk about the ages that we're talking about here that are, that are included in this study and the amount on, uh, on the younger end, the amount of girls in that, in that sector. The best and most exhaustive study we've seen so far on human trafficking in Texas came, as I mentioned, from mm-hmm. the University of Texas about three, four years ago. And they estimated that 
the average age of a girl who is brought, and not just girls, but boys, that's what we need to remember. It yeah. is about 75, 80% girls, 20, 25% boys who are being exploited. The average age of a child, let's say, that is brought into slavery, between 12 and 13 years old. Average. So think about some were 15, 16, 17. That means there are some even younger. And when I have gone and led these undercover rescue operations, mostly overseas, you see the, the youth of these kids, the innocence of these kids. But just in Texas, Texas is the number two ranked state in the country behind California in terms of how many calls come in to the national anti-human trafficking hotline. So number two ranked in Texas. Dallas is the number two ranked city in Texas mm. behind Houston. And it doesn't say anything bad about Dallas or Houston. And you mentioned the great cities of America, the rural areas, there is human trafficking. But anywhere you have international airports, seaports, interstate highways, and what I think we'll be talking about today in the podcast, when you have wealthy and, influent, uh, and affluent men from all races, but it's Americans. Americans are the number one producers and consumers of child pornography and the number one producers of what's called a child sex tourist, a terrible term of essentially men who go overseas and go to places in the United States to exploit children. Mm -hmm. And so one thing, if your audience takes away only one thing, it's that this exists today. This is a problem that's real. And what I love, and I'm so grateful to you, Tyler, and to Darren and everyone for giving this on your podcast, this voice, because I imagine you've got a majority of men in your audience yes. and men, we can stop being the problem. We can be the solution. And I'm so excited to have a yes. chance to talk about that. So why are we so blind? This is happening right in front of our eyes. This is happening next door to us. And it doesn't matter if you're in the inner city, if you're in the suburbs, why aren't we bringing to light what is tragically happening in our neighborhoods? It's an excellent question. And there are a few different reasons, I believe, and we can go in as deep as you want into any of these. But first and foremost, it's a dark topic. We want to stick our heads in the sand. We don't want to think about this. It's, it's dirty. Secondly, there is such an over objectification of our society of women, an over sexualization of our country. And also we have been, um, you know, groomed by media to think, you know what? No, this is just prostitution. This is the way women are choosing to make their living. And I'll use myself as an example. I'm embarrassed to say that when I first was exposed to this in the year 2006, working in Madrid, Spain, human trafficking, what is that? I said, no, this is the movie Pretty Woman. If you mm. remember that from yeah. many years ago, this is Julia Roberts. This is how she's using her body to make money. Money. Well, boy, were my eyes open that this is trafficking, not prostitution. These are victims and not volunteers. Well, let's yes, let's get into that. And I, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to go back to see. I want to understand the difference between trafficking. Is there a difference between trafficking and prostitution? So the definition of trafficking by U.S. laws is force, fraud, or coercion. That again puts someone into this commercial sexual industry. The commercial sex industry, could be pornography, could be prostitution, forced prostitution. And Darren, your question is so important because I think so many of us think, well, no, I see a prostitute on the streets or at a strip club. They want to be there. They're smiling. They, it seems like they're happy. Well, I think that the audience needs to realize that the percentage of those willingly prostituting themselves 
is minuscule Mm -hmm. and the vast majority are being taken advantage of, are being pimped out by Mm -hmm. someone and are being forced into this. And so I think that's something first and foremost, we all need to realize. And in part two of this, we're going to talk firsthand with the survivor uh, and and we're going to hear how that what Matt just described is how someone can be forced into it. Right. Cause like yeah. you said, like the naive, the naive mindset is, Oh, well, Hey, they just, that's just what they chose. They, they couldn't do anything else. So they, that's how they chose to make money. That's not the case in, in a, like Matt said, a large, large percentage of, of prostitution um, arrests and convictions. These, these victims and they are victims. Let's be very, very clear. These are victims uh, are being forced against their will, whether it's through being forced onto drugs, whether it's abuse. Uh, there's many avenues that these traffickers and pimps take to to hold these women hostage, essentially. Um, but before we get m- any more into this, because there's so many things that we're going to unpack, um, we we talk about the journey a lot on this show, and and we want to know how how Matt Osborne came and was raised to have this passion to fight for justice. You know, was it your faith? Was it your upbringing? Was it something you stumbled into? But we want to understand that. So let's hit pause on on the trafficking conversation and let's talk about Matt and going back to, uh, you know, where you were raised, the family dynamic, school and, and so forth. So for those in the Dallas area and who know Dallas, I say I grew up in North Dallas well, that was in North Dallas was 75 Central and LBJ, right? This is <laughs> yeah. North Dallas is now Frisco, Salina, yeah. Prosper, and now I live up near there. But I had a, um, a, a very sort of normal you know, childhood and growing up, uh, teen years, but I always had in the back of my mind, I want to do something overseas. I'm very patriotic, even with all the faults in our country. I'm very proud to be an American. I see where we can do better, but I also see a lot of how we've been blessed as Americans. And I thought, you know what, how great would this be to live overseas, to speak foreign languages, to, you know, maybe work undercover. And for the CIA, I always had kind of the CIA in mind. Well, in the early 90s, and I'll date myself back then, that was where you'd apply to the CIA by typing out a resume, printing out a cover letter, mailing it to the CIA. (laughs) And they said, if you don't hear from us within 45 days, we don't have a job for you. So 45, 50, 100 days came and went. Well, I didn't hear from them. But always in the back of my mind, I thought, this is something I want to do. so I lived overseas. I also pursued, and this will be down your alley, I pursued my, uh, a, a love of sports and sports broadcasting. So I worked behind the scenes. I actually mm. worked for ESPN and Fox Sportsnet doing a lot of the, and this was back before they did all the cool stuff and, and they didn't even have the scoreboard up, you know, nonstop where you knew what the score is in the time. We had to always add that in. But was working uh, college football, working different types of sports, but then came to a crossroads and had a chance to go back overseas. And then when I went to graduate school to study international policy studies in the government, um, for your listeners of a certain age who will remember, this was in the year 2000. And I worked at a think tank in California called the Center for Nonproliferation Studies, so chemical weapons, biological weapons. I didn't have, know anything about chemical biological. I didn't know have a chemical degree, microbiology degree, anything like that. I just needed a part-time job. Well, I wrote a report. It's, you talk about how God works in your life. It's nothing great about me, and he obviously had a plan for me, that in the year 2000, I wrote a report about someone that was not really on the radar screen of too many people. He was a suspected 
terrorist named Osama bin Laden, who had just blown up the U.S. embassies in Africa in 1998 and had threatened. So I wrote a report just using open source information. I had no access to classified of how he might attack the U.S., of how he might use chemical and biological weapons. Well, unfortunately, the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001 hit. And then now, instead of me pursuing the CIA, the CIA pursued me, which I think is hilarious. And so I got swept up. And so in the year 2002, I went to work, worked all sorts of accounts, uh, worked China, worked Iraq, worked Middle East. But then I decided I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to fulfill this dream. And I didn't speak Arabic at the time. I didn't, my family, you know, they were, they were, didn't want to put them in danger. So I got a job in Madrid, Spain, and was working really interesting cases there. And that's when I got involved in this, the human trafficking. And Tyler, you ask about faith. I've always been a man of faith. I've always seen my small place in this world and said, look, God, you know, how can you use me? You know, help me overcome my weaknesses, help me play to my strengths and help me try to do the best I can. And in the back of my mind, all of a sudden, this human trafficking, human trafficking, looking at my daughters that were four years old and two years old at the time. Then a few years later in Venezuela and then in Mexico, always working different cases, but this human trafficking. And finally, I had the opportunity to leave the government, a job that I loved, and join my old graduate school colleague at a place called Operation Underground Railroad, where we would serve as a nonprofit working hand in hand with governments in the United States Mm -hmm. and overseas fighting this crime. And we would use our American face. And as I mentioned, it's uh, all races who are doing this, but it's the Americans. And so we partner with other American men, go over overseas go undercover and power governments to launch these human trafficking rescues and then deal with the aftercare, the rehabilitation. Instead of giving a person a fish, you teach a person to fish. And then it's kind of spiraled now with different organizations. As you read the bio earlier, just it's, it's crazy to think of sort of where, where God has led me. And it really is because of my daughters. You know, they are now 18 and 15. One's headed off to college. If anyone's watching this on camera, you can see the gray hair and the sideburns. <laughs> you got a little chrome there. You're mind. good. Those are my teenage daughters. Yeah. That's, who, that's who brought that on. But it's always, you know what? When I look in the eyes of these victims, and Tyler, you've talked to them as well with New Friends, New Life, and others. I see in their eyes my children. Mm. And but by the grace of God, but for whatever reasons, they right now are in loving families. I believe every child should be in a loving family, however that's going to look. And so I believe that I can do a small part to try to fight this crime. And now I've seen that one of the biggest issues, and I know we'll talk about this, is energizing men Mm -hmm. through advocacy, through education, through volunteerism. And uh, I just would submit to all out in the audience to get involved. There's so many ways to get Mm -hmm. involved and to fight this crime. And you're right. We're going to get there. But I want to go back on this because one of the things in 2000, you you mentioned the year 2000, 2001, when, uh, you know, we all know what happened in, 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 as far as 9-11 is concerned. But there was a ten, that was a tension-packed time in, in, in our lives. And you're, you are going overseas. What was that like with your wife as far as what was that conversation? Because now you're going to a foreign country or a different country, and there's, there's some, you know, Listen, it's not going to be safe. There's a lot of hostility out there. It's not safe. What was that conversation like with your wife? 
So it's funny, and the CIA is very open in terms of what you can share with your spouse. Now, obviously, sources and methods, you can't talk about specifics, but they want you to be very open. So I was able to tell her uh, about the job in general. Here's what we'd be doing, the different types of, of, of you know, responsibilities I have, the different types of safety measures we have to take. And Spain was our first post, and that was very safe you know, to a certain extent. However, always under the surface, there was this tension. And Darren, you talked about it. Think about it, right? Terrorism, the war in Iraq, yeah. uh, pro and con, anti-American. And so it was everything from, you know, not going out with your UCLA sweatshirts and not going out with your ball caps, you know, which made you sort of look American, but also being very careful. And the CIA was excellent in terms of teaching you how to have this overseas personal security awareness, which is what they called it, um, having the antenna where you had a sort of a 360 degree mindset where you were always aware of threats. Uh, everything from, you know, you sit with your back to the wall to restaurants so you can mm. see out. Or as you're approaching your vehicle, you're kind of looking underneath to make sure no one stuck anything under there. Was that going to happen in Spain? Probably not, but you never knew. No. But then going to Venezuela, then going to Mexico where you had the drug cartel yeah. influence, you had the kidnappings. That was a big thing. And I wasn't so much worried about myself. I had my diplomatic credentials, even my wife. But with my kids, even though they were going to good schools, they were in schools with the you know kids whose parents were in the government, maybe in some of mm. the organized crime, maybe in some of the other groups, and you had to be very careful. So I was not allowed to tell my kids that I was in the CIA. And so I remember when I resigned to join Operation Underground Railroad, my oldest was 14, 15 at the time, and I finally could tell her. And she was very upset. She said, I can't believe you lied to me. What are you know, I supposed to trust you? And then later she said, well, that's pretty cool. So you got to guard the president. You were with the Secret Service. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Those guys do amazing jobs. That wasn't me. I was in the CIA. She said, well, what's that? That sounds boring. So that was really <laughs> that good. That boring. That was important. You know, I'm sitting here listening to this. It's interesting. Most of us spend our lives avoiding danger, avoiding risk, avoiding, you know, those type of situations. You were actively looking for these things and, and how can I help? I mean, you know, there's, there's fighters and there's, you know, there's runners or, or at least at the very least, we just didn't, like you said earlier, bury our heads in the sand, but you're actually out there looking for these issues and, and trying to fight those issues. You know, it's crazy. They always said, look, it sounds, it sounds like something you don't want to do, but if you feel so inclined, march towards the sound of the guns. Mm. And so that's what we did. Now, to be sure, I wasn't like the bravest of our men and women who are in the military, who are in Iraq and Afghanistan, but I was willing to do a little bit and take some risks. And um, as Tyler, you and I have talked mm. about that with our undercover rescue operations, we're willing to take calculated risks. We won't take dumb risks, but we're willing to take some risks. And, you know, knock on wood, if something were ever to happen to me, I, I at least would have faith to say to my maker, you know what, I was doing all I could to try to save your precious children to try to rescue. And I'm just so lucky to have a great wife, great parents who supported. But my wife will always say, now she knows a little bit of what the spouses of the bravest first responders, you know, I'm not the mm -hmm. brave guy like the first responders, but she knows a little bit of what that's like when, okay, I know my husband's about to go on an undercover operation and he'll text, hey, pray for us. We're in Colombia. We're in Haiti. We're in Thailand. We're about to go undercover with the bad guys. 
Uh, I might not be able to talk to you for a few hours because, you know, we get arrested too on these undercover mm-hmm. operations because mm-hmm. we can't let the bad guys know that, that it was a setup until wow. we're safely at the embassy or on the airport, uh, yeah. in the airport. So we get arrested as well which my daughters think it's hilarious that their old man has been arrested nine times in five different countries. <laughs> I said, well, don't tell any of your teachers that. They'll get the wrong idea. Okay, so yeah, walk us through, yeah, walk walk us us through, through an operation. What you can share, obviously, there's, there's sensitive material that you got to keep quiet. But walk us through like a typical Underground Railroad operation un- undercover operation. And I would like to hear on the, uh, you know, the relationship that you have with those governments. So they oh, go... Uh, yeah, hit Tyler's question, but I we definitely want to go back to the relationships you had in, in Mexico and Madrid when you were getting arrested, and with the governments, uh, how they how they were involved as well. So go ahead, sorry. So absolutely. So with Operation Underground Railroad and the Nazarene Fund are two nonprofits that seek to empower governments around the world, also in the United States. But in the United States, we don't go undercover because fortunately they have task forces and brave men and women who are doing this job on the law enforcement side. But overseas, we get away with a little bit more. And remember, law enforcement needs our American faces. So that's what we do. So we'll go into a country and we essentially will say, look, we're providing a variety of tools. You can use them or not. And oftentimes they'll already know where the traffickers are. They'll know the guys who are exploiting the children, but they can't break into that circle because, again, they look like a Colombian police officer Mm -hmm. or a Mexican FBI agent, so to speak, or a Royal Thai police. And also like to mention, like the police and the law enforcement in these other countries look very, very different. Like corruption is much, much more rampant Mm -hmm. in these other countries than, than we're looking at in the United States. And so a victim, I mean, some in, in some instances and a lot, and this is getting better, in a lot of instances, the law enforcement is running the sex trafficking ring. Wow, so so victims cannot call the law enforcement. Right. So so Operation Underground Railroad, the Nazarene Fund, International Justice Mission. So they go in and meet with a government top level and say, Okay, hey, we are trying to clean this up. And it's got to start from the top down. Now, what Matt's talking about is, okay, hey, we've worked this. Now we're going to go boots on the ground and we're going to expose the criminals here. Mm. And, we're, and, and again, I'm, I don't mean to steal the thunder here, but I lo- no, I, it, but that's something to, to recognize that, yes, like they look like the, the local police, but a lot of times there is a, a large rings, portion so. of those departments that are actually running those the prostitution rings. And we have to be so careful about that. And so, Tyler, you're right. We'll go and talk to the top levels, the attorney general, the chief of police, and we'll say, look, where do you want us? And again, they'll either know where they want to send us or they'll say, look, we know it's probably happening in Cancun, Mexico or Bangkok, Thailand or Dominican Republic, Punta Cana. But why don't you send a group of your three or four Americans in, spend a few hours, a few days. So we'll go to the beach, red light districts, tourist areas. And within minutes, we'll be approached by someone who'll say, hey, gringo, do you want a beer, margarita? You want a jet ski ride, kayak? Do you want drugs? Do you want women? And that's always how it goes. Mm. And so we'll be very careful not to entrap anyone or provoke anything. We'll say, well, women, okay, what kind of women do you have? Oh, I got anything you want. Okay, well, we've got some business partners who are a little bit crazy and kind of like young, fresh, exotic. You know, we have these code words. And I kid you not, guys, it's hard to believe. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it firsthand. Within one hour, you were talking to the trafficker himself or herself sometimes, who then shows you the kids. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And so we'll say, look, uh, okay, you know, we're not the we're not the guys interested in the young girls because sometimes they'll say, well, and again, not to be too graphic, but you know, here's a 13 year old girl 
well, why don't you go behind in that room and try out the goods? It's, oh, it's, it's that. I mean, what stopped? What, I mean, there had to be a part of you that just was, had so much anger in your heart to, to just <laughs> want to reach out and strangle someone that's, that's doing that. I mean, what stopped you from, I, I know there was an ultimate job, which you had to get to the core of, but I mean, emotionally, I don't know if yeah. I could do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have. <laughs> I would have been in one that gave up everything. Yeah, but Darren, you're absolutely right, because simultaneously you want to throw up, you Mm -hmm. want to throttle the guy, but then you have to stay in character and say that's exactly what the big boss man wants. And it does get a lot to faith, Tyler, you were talking about that saying, look, praying that, hey, you know, can you just somehow communicate with this girl where I'm looking at her in the eyes and Mm -hmm. trying not to exploit her, but just if you can get a message, please, God, that just have her hold on, you know, we'll be there, we'll be able to protect her. And oftentimes it can go very quickly because we've got our jump teams, we call them on standby, can fly in. Sometimes they're already in country. And depending on how many kids the trafficker offers us, or whether the trafficker's like, wow, you know, well, I'm working with this guy who has a few girls and this person has a few girls. You know, we can have a whole bunch of kids in one place within hours, a day or two. And then we have a party. And again, we set the whole house up with cameras Mm. and soft drinks and chips and beer and stuff for the, for the traffickers. And we have it all pre-staged with the cops. And oftentimes the cops are there because we don't carry weapons, right? That's one of the scariest things. Mm. It's not like the CIA anymore, FBI, because if we were just party goers, if we were playing our role, we wouldn't have weapons. Mm -hmm. But the undercover cops play the valets, drivers, the bartenders, security. And so we have everything choreographed. And when we've got the the traffickers have given us the money, have told us what the kids are going to do, have made it clear they're forcing them. We'll say, okay, waiter, bring the wine, bring the tequila. And that's the sign for the cavalry to come in, arrest the bad guys, arrest us, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. and then have the child protective services equivalent come in and start to provide the aftercare, the interviews, the rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And even though I've been arrested and sometimes been stepped on, kicked, spit on, laughed at when the girls are being marched out, it's a small price to pay. And I just thank God that, hey, these girls now are on the road to recovery. Mm -hmm. And I think, Darren, another way to answer it as well, well is if and like matt said you've got to compose yourself because the ultimate goal is okay if i can save one right but the thing about sex trafficking and why it's the fastest growing industry on the globe is if you compare it to drug trafficking once that drug's gone it's gone right like you got to go grow more you got now sex trafficking you just fill that you just backfill it with another victim with another kid another another family that's willing to sell their kid or someone that's kidnapped the problem is is you've got to stop the trafficker and you've got to stop them because they're the one that bring everyone in so yeah like if a guy's offering and like yeah like it may feel good to like knock the dude out and that's like you said i couldn't i don't know if i could compose myself enough like i want to be the guy that kicks in the door and just like literally just takes out all the bad dudes like that's what i want to do right? right but like it takes a level of um, of faith, number one, first and foremost, that like, hey, there's a greater good here and we're going to save all of these victims, but not only save them now, but we're going to protect them beyond this point because yeah, now we are. And that's yeah. the question I would have as far as, okay, so let's say you're in Cancun and you, you go through this process and you have a sting and, you know, you get arrested and they, you know, ship you off to the, to the airport um, afterwards. So what happens to those kids that have been caught up in this is there are you are you retracing your steps or is there some kind of feedback where you're getting an understanding of what's what's taking place from that point on 
So we have an aftercare team, both at Operation Underground Railroad and the Nazarene Fund, and we actually set that groundwork up ahead of time. We admit that in the early stages of our operations, 2014-15, we maybe rescued too many kids at that time. And I know that sounds crazy, but meaning maybe the country only has five or 10 beds to put the kids while they're being rehabilitated, and we rescued 20 girls, so 10 of them go right back. So we already know ahead of time, what are the reputable houses, where are the homes, mm. and our preference is always to get the kids back with their parents. But do you realize in our experience, it's about 35 or 40% of the kids who can't go home because they're orphans or because their own mother sold them into this, or because there's an uncle living down the street who is pimping them out. And so we have to keep very close tabs on these girls and we let the law enforcement know, Hey, we'll come in and provide you with resources. We'll give you new cell phones for your ops. We'll help you with training laptops, but you've got to take care of these kids. And every six months we go back to these homes and visit and bring sports equipment and Bibles, if that's permitted in Mm -hmm. some of them and clothing and school to try to check up on them. Now to you know, because sometimes the kids, it does fall through the cracks. Think about if your own mother sold you into this or think about as Tyler knows with new friends, new life, women who come in who say, I'm 19 years old now. And ever since I was 14, all I was told that I was good for is satisfying these men whenever they want, however they want. You start to believe that that's all, that's all I'm good for. So there's a lot of damage that has to be re you know, healed and a lot of rewiring to, to help these brave souls get back. And, you know, next session in episode, you're going to talk to Robbie, amazing person who's been able because of faith and hard work and tenacity to come back. But unfortunately they're not all success stories. That's right. I was just thinking, what, what is that rehabilitation? And maybe we're gonna get to that in a second, but the rehabilitation process, and I'm also wondering what percentage of those girls end up back in the, the trafficking after, after you guys have saved them. Yeah, and we try to be very open and other organizations as well that oftentimes up to a third of the girls, maybe more, sometimes maybe less, do go back into it at least once or twice because they don't believe that they actually are on the road to recovery. They don't believe that anyone is there to help them. And so that is a huge problem. Um, when you look at the rehabilitation, what does it look like? First and foremost, just telling these individuals they're loved, telling them that someone cares about them, telling them in the case of the men's advocacy group that not all men are like that. Not all men are looking at you like an object, like a piece of meat, honestly, like uh, uh, you know something to, to satisfy our sexual desires, that God loves you, that we love you. And you have to continue over and over again with specialists and those who are, are trained in trauma-informed care to start to bring them back. And again, it's so much, so many things in life. You can focus on the pessimism and those who get away, or you can focus on those whose lives have been restored. Mm -hmm. And New Friends New Life has had an amazing success in helping these women move from being victim to survivor and survivor to thriver. Yep. All right. So I want to get to New Friends New Life, but, but lastly, um, you know, one of the one of the things too that I want to address on an international level, and this is this is not necessarily underground railroads um, expertise, but there's other organizations out there that that underground railroad partners with, right? There's there's so many layers of this and so many facets that you can go in and make an impact. Um, but a, a, a group that that I serve uh, alongside is International Justice Mission, and, and Matt's very very aware. And I just want to give a shout, like perspective of what it takes, right, to combat this problem. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but International Justice Mission, um, what they do, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what they do is is they it 
Operation Underground Railroad can only do so much and only save so many people. You know, we just listed off 178 human trafficking victims have been saved on operations that, that Matt's run and arrested 55 traffickers. That is a very, that is a drop in the ocean, right? So that's right. a very, and, right. and, and kudos to you. And that's not downplaying what you've done, but, but it's true. The it's problem true. is, is we don't want the traffickers internationally um, to say, okay, hey, these Americans came in. All we got to do is outlast them because yeah. once they leave, exactly. then hey, we're, we're we can get back to it. The challenge is is we we need to change the system in these countries, and we need to help affect that so that they can then protect themselves. Right? For example, <coughs> India five years ago, on a government level, did not even recognize that they had a single slave in their country. Mm-hmm. A study came out three years or four years ago, there's 19 million slaves in India, mostly forced labor, but 19 million slaves in India. And, and since then, I mean, that is the largest portion, the single most slavery ridden country uh, on the globe. But since then, as a government, they said, okay, hey, we recognize the problem. Now we need to learn how to fix it. And groups like International Justice Mission, Underground Railroad, bring the awareness to them, but then train not only their police staff to investigate, to arrest, to convict. They train attorneys. They train the government system, the attorney general, so that they can actually now put in legislation that protects those. Because before, in India, there was no laws against slavery because mm. they didn't think that they had it. And and this is across the globe, and, and, and mostly third world countries, but across the globe, there was zero protection for them. So organizations in the United States take this, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to train you. We're going to make an immediate impact, but it is up to you as a country to provide the long-term yeah, solution. Yeah. And I, and I hear that, but then, you know, when, when we started this conversation, one thing Matt said, it's the Americans are, I mean, right here in our country, we're the ones who are the catalyst mm-hmm. to all this. So, you know, I, you know, and I get, the understanding of what's going on internationally, but it's even aware. Like uh, on my part, it wasn't until I went and saw you invited me to new friends and, and, and new life. Uh-huh. And actually Matt was speaking. Um, that was, yeah, that the was event. the breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. At the event that I became aware mm-hmm. in my own backyard this is going on it's you know what i mean it's it's i get what's going on in india and that's in india and i wish we could you know heal and 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 love on them and and teach and but right here in our own backyard we're dealing with this you know how do we how do we become more proactive here in dallas just i'm just saying in here in dallas not in washington here in dallas how can we be more proactive in getting involved you know, first and foremost, it's doing what we're doing right now is talking about this, educating, because Darren, you feel like I felt before I even got into this. I, I would not have known anything except that I was asked to work this issue. Many in your audience right now, I'm sure, are thinking, wait a sec, maybe I'd heard this problem, uh, but I didn't know just how important it is. But when you look at, and again, it's, yes, it happens in what you might think are the high crime areas, but it doesn't necessarily happen there. And there are more uh, of the exploitation 
happening, the more, more the exploitation is happening in affluent communities and mm. online and in nicer hotels. And at New Friends New Life, we do a monthly bus tour, or we did before the pandemic. We hope we can start up later this year, where we go to spots around Dallas. And again, these are the nice areas. This is happening all around us. So we need to first recognize it. Then we need to talk about how we get involved. And again, I hope that it's men, again, who are taking the lead to stand up to realize, no, I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm going to be part of the solution. Uh, Women, I think, are already a little more sensitized to some of these things. But to realize that, again, this is Dallas, Texas. So let's use the motto that Tyler knows with the men's advocacy group, not our city, not our children. Yeah. I think that Darren mm-hmm. is a huge way yes. to start first and foremost. Yep. Yep. That's, a, that's exactly, exactly right. And I think, and I want to transition a little bit specifically to what new friends, new life does uh, on the recovery side, because we started to talk about that and how do you heal? And, and there's so many layers of that, but then I really want to dig in a lot on the, on the male side, right? The issues as a culture that we face, uh, how we're unwillingly or unknowingly contributing to the sex trafficking trade, um, and then and then ways as men, how do we how do we stop this? And 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 you'll talk about it. Is we stop it at an early age, right? We don't. It's going to be really hard to convince a fifty year old right. um, that that has has this uh, addiction to stop, right? Like into he's been ingrained to think a certain way for so long. Um, but let's first start with New Friends New Life um, and what they are doing and what they are doing with survivors and victims in the rehabilitation process and, and how really to address them. So this is the most important part, right? There's no rescue without the rehabilitation. There's no success without the aftercare. And New Friends New Life started in Dallas just over 20 years ago when a woman who was working in the table dance industry and going to strip clubs. Now, let me be the first one to say that I have gone to strip clubs many, many years ago, right? I'm not judging anyone who's gone to strip clubs, but we need to realize that that's not a harmless you know, business. There are crimes. There are things that are being done. And a woman gets says I'm being forced into this. I don't want to do this anymore. And so that's what started through a local church, uh, how we started New Friends New Life. And it is women coming in who have been rescued or who are making their way to us saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, think about the challenges they have. Not only is maybe a parent sold them into this or someone, you know, a loved one betrayed their trust or someone they thought was a boyfriend or a husband or something. But think about years that they were forced into this, they now have no marketable job skills. Mm. They have nothing Mm. on their resume that can go and get a legitimate job they'd be proud of. So New Friends New Life provides everything from trauma-informed care to help, again, as we talked about, help heal the damage psychologically, emotionally, mentally, physically in a lot of ways. But also, how do you help get them back on their feet? How do you help them with resumes, with interview skills? How do you help them to feel that they are someone who matters? And that's really what the success story is. And so you think of, and Tyler, you asked at the beginning, how is the virus pandemic affecting us? Well, it's affecting us because we can't get out and do as many of the things that we want to do to provide face-to-face help. We can't go out and raise the funds we need as easily as we could when we were in person, but sex trafficking is still happening. Domestic abuse, child abuse is still happening at home, sometimes even worse. Pornography is still happening. So New Friends New Life is doing all they can, even as much as they need to socially distance, to treat some of these girls and, and women who have come to us over the past several months. And that's a challenge right now, as, as you mentioned, the technology side of it. It, right, we have a lot of people that have a lot of extra time mm. that are that are not out working, 
that now have the time to fulfill you know the the need that they have right and the challenge that we that that you know those that are combating sex trafficking uh, over the last few years is the advancement of technology in that field is how easy it is to have access you talk about it's in our backyard mm-hmm. i mean you talk about highland park texas guess how long it takes to have a girl at your house oh man 30 minutes like it is it is oh. so simple you get on your phone you get on whatever the 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 app is nowadays and literally you can pick out who you want and they are delivered to your door plano texas frisco texas uh malibu california you know fort lauderdale florida it doesn't matter all of these places have the ability to have someone delivered to your doorstep just like uber eats just like amazon oh man see that that, that, yeah just i mean you know and you look at the pornography oh, too, right? Man. The time people have at home yep. and looking at pornography and, and you talk about how pornography is tied into the sex trade, yes. the way the human mind works, you know, a playboy magazine after a while is not enough. Then it's gotta be a video. Then it's gotta be hardcore or kids. And then after you have to act on it, you have to become a contact offender. So think about more and more people that are home watching pornography that through the general and natural process, I mean, unnatural, but yet natural in our minds, and brains will then need to actually, as Tyler said, call some something up. And I used to joke that, you know, when I was a kid in Dallas, and I wasn't a bad kid, maybe a normal boy, that if I wanted to look at pornography, I'd have to go in an alleyway, find a guy mm-hmm. who was over 18 years old to go in the 7-Eleven right. to buy that magazine that was wrapped up where you could only see the name Playboy, then go get the money. Well, now where is it, right? It's right here. It's here. It's Tyler said, it's the apps. It's so crazy. And law enforcement is having a tough time keeping up with it, all the apps, keeping up with all the tools that traffickers and pedophiles are using to pimp out and exploit children. They're doing a great job with what they have, but it's just overwhelming. It's like trying to take a drink from a fire hose. Yeah. So are, how much are you working with law, local law enforcement and how much contact have you had uh, in the past with them? And, in a, you know, describe to us, you know, what that entails. So with Operation Underground Railroad, we work in terms in the United States of providing funding, training, tools, and technology. So we'll break it down. Again, limited resources, right? Even the Dallas Police Department that gets a lot of resources, they can do more. So we're providing funds, helping them work overnight shifts. Um, uh, You know, they, they do their regular jobs, but at nights, maybe we can help them to have sting operations. Providing the technology, they may only have one license for an anti-child pornography software. What if we can provide three or four other licenses? What if we can train additional law enforcement? And then some of the really cool things in Operation Underground Railroad, and we're trying to get one in Texas, but we provide it in other states. You've heard of a bomb sniffing dog, right? Mm. Or a drug sniffing dog. Mm -hmm. Did you know there are dogs that are trained to sniff out the hardware in an SD card, USB, thumb drives, DVDs, where these creeps keep their child pornography? These dogs can sniff it out in a house Mm. where maybe they hide it in somewhere where law enforcement can't find it. You send in Coco the Wonder Dog, and within minutes, they key on something five shelves up in a garage, and that's where this guy keeps his pornography. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to expand more into Texas and around the Southwest because it happens everywhere. And we realize we need to be a force multiplier that as Tyler said earlier with International Justice Mission, which is an amazing organization, one group can't do it all. So let's pool our resources and see as as many kids we can save. Tyler, you were saying earlier, you can get on an app, which is mind blowing to me that there's an app for this and you can have a girl in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So by the nature of what we do, and, and I hope this isn't a cheap analogy, but 
you know, you, you order a product online and it's, it's shipped to you from where, where are they keeping these girls? I, I, that's mind blowing to me that they can be to you that quick. Where are the, cause you think of like overseas, you just imagine this, you know, terrible warehouse and they're just storing them. I, I, this is just crazy to me. Like where are they coming from here locally? So it's across the spectrum. There are houses, uh, hotels where brothels. the girls are kept yeah. under lock and key, brothels, massage parlors, guys, a huge thing. Nail salons, again, not saying all nail salons, not mm. saying all massage parlors, but it's a huge industry. Harry Hines Boulevard, Northwest Highway, those yeah. are familiar geography, 35 and Royal, um, all these areas. They have the veneer, the facade of legitimate organizations, but it's well known what's happening. But then also, Ben, it's surprising, but there are girls who might not think of themselves as victims, that maybe they're going to school, maybe they're working, but they know that, oh gosh, my boyfriend, eh, he needs me to do this again. And so for force, fraud, coercion, or mm. just love, just some mm. sort of mental thing we can't understand, they are forced into this. And so when someone places an ad on the app, it gets to the trafficker and he's like, okay, Susie, Sheila, Jenny, Beth, now you're up. And so they are brought to the hotel or they're brought to the massage parlor. And so that's what's so difficult for law enforcement to keep up with because it's across the spectrum. There's no typical victim. When you meet with Robbie today and talk with her, I mean, she'll tell you Highland Park. She grew up in Highland Park. You see Girls who you think, okay, well, she had a rough life, right? No, of course she's in trafficking. No, no, they're Mensa high IQ qualified for whatever reason they fell into this. It's just mm-hmm. so difficult to track. Yeah. And one of the other things too is, is traffickers, are, traffickers are not dumb, right? They are sophisticated and they're constantly, and, and this is, I, I want to I be very clear that this is not my thinking, but they are constantly moving product. They are moving yep. it from one location to the next, right? In California, um, there's a there's a group that we served with. It's called Made for Them, and it, it served locally in Fresno. But there is a high, there is a a sex trafficking highway that runs from Tijuana, Mexico, all the way up to Seattle, right? And they're just constantly running them up and down, and they do not stay in a certain location longer than two or three weeks because they're constantly refreshing, changing. And then also now once they're doing that, they can't be found. I mean, if, if someone is brought into the trade, I mean, they could be literally ghosts for years to their family, even if they're looking for them. They're either tricked in by a boyfriend that, that found them on social media and they dated over social media for you know three, four, five, six months. And then, hey, come out and meet me in Vegas. And then come out to Vegas and then it starts off good and then he starts abusing and then he starts forcing her into things and just mentally is wearing on her. And then now, okay, I'm running you to Seattle. Then we're going to Eugene, Oregon, and then we're going to Eureka, California. And then we're going to San Francisco, just running it up and down and constantly moving so that they can't be found. And so they are very sophisticated. Now in Dallas, constantly there are stings. I mean, there was a massage parlor in uh, the design district recently that there was a sting Mm -hmm. operation that they, they, that was associated with sex trafficking. Um, But even just in, homes that you would you would never even think of it you know there's there's a handful of girls that live there and again the manipulation of these traffickers to make these girls feel like it's normal and that's what they deserve right and that's and and these traffickers know that there's such a demand out there because again either it's a pornography addiction it's an over you know sexualized culture treating women as objects which is something we try to deal with in the men's advocacy group but they know that there are enough men out there who think no, I, I, no, I have money and they want my money and I want them to do these acts. And so it's a mutual trade. 
No, gentlemen, it's not a mutual trade. Whether you've ever done it before or thought of it, I'm not judging. But now that you know, you mm-hmm. can't unknow. So right, please, right. everyone listening to this, watching this, just please know real men do not purchase other human beings. Right. And please help join the cause because education, can you imagine if demand were to go away, supply would go away. That's and right. that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And you mentioned education. So yeah. given, given the resources, given the resources, uh, brought to you where does this start do we start with educating you mentioned earlier tyler about 50 you know being you know approaching a 50 year old man uh and then maybe approaching a kid and getting them at a younger age to Mm -hmm. understand where we are today Mm -hmm. so tyler knows very well he and i go uh and teach something called the man kindness project and darren i think you'd love this because Uh, both of you guys as athletes think about you're playing high school ball college ball you know what positive locker room talk is right Right. hey guys let's go we're gonna do this let's fight well you also know what negative locker room talk is and i'm sure we've all participated and i certainly have i'm sorry to say hey look at that b look at that h look at that chick look at her ass look at this and that Mm. that sort of type of language that doesn't mean you're gonna be a human trafficker doesn't mean you're gonna be a pedophile but it's a journey of a thousand steps So at New Friends, New Life, we have something called a Man Kindness Project curriculum. And Tyler's been one of the facilitators. And we go to high schools. We go to young men's service leagues, church groups. We talk to young men to try to get them before they become the 50-year-old man that we're talking Mm. about. And we treat them as the solution, not the problem. We don't talk down to them. We don't judge them. But we say, gentlemen, one of the lies that our society says is sticks and stones will break my bones, but words and names will never hurt me. Well, we all know, right? That's ridiculous. And we talk about the man box. And Tyler, I'd love for you because you always have great things to add on this. Our society tells young men, you're not a real man unless you're all three things. You're the biggest, baddest guy out on the athletic field, win at all costs. Nothing wrong with being the best you can, but not if that's how you take your worth. You're not a man unless you've got the fastest car, biggest house, biggest, fattest wallet. Nothing wrong with doing well in life and having money for things, but not if that's all you concentrate on. And man, you're not a man unless you're a Romeo. You got all the chicks. Nothing wrong with looking for who you want in a girlfriend fiance wife but not if that's how you select your manhood and so tyler that's what we talk about these guys isn't it with the man box yeah and it's really important because again we're getting in front of these these young and and i'll call them boys right because because they really are they they have not matured and they culturally they see the boxes that you're talking about right our media pushes it uh, our culture pushes it that hey to be successful you've got to check these boxes and and like matt said it's it is First, starting with just objectifying women, right? Mm-hmm. Calling a girl a hoe, mm-hmm. you know, or, hey, I had these two chicks, or I had this. When, when that, because here's the problem, is then the girls hear that, and then it gets to them, and then it reinforces this, and then it turns into, and like you said, uh, it's, it's a journey of a thousand steps. It progresses, and then it's, now, I really actually don't think of them as a person, or I think of, mm-hmm. they, they, Although they may be my girlfriend, but they owe me. They really do. Because of all that reinforcement that they have in the locker room with their buddies, the guy talk, we've all done it. And Matt, mm-hmm. you're not the only one. Like we've all done it. Yeah. We've all had those conversations because because what that the the Mankindness Project put together an amazing video that talks about uh, from a girl's perspective. And I talked about it and what it is, and it's it's a graphic video, but it's amazing because what it is is it's this girl. Uh, and it, she's talking to her father and her father, I'm sorry, talking to another man, a father of another boy. Who, this father did not, he lived the life that the culture tells you to do, 
but he did not talk to his son about these things and just allowed him to objectify, to, to uh, talk down about women. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that this boy rapes the girl because he felt like he deserved it and she wow. deserved it. And it was just an objectification of that. And so it's, I mean, it's a powerful video, but if we can get in front of our boys at an early age and recognize, hey, pornography, that is a journey that leads to it. And it is so accessible. It is so accessible. And and really, like, we're all guilty at one point of our lives yeah. of, of partaking Absolutely. in that. Like, and yeah. for anybody to say that they haven't yeah. in their life, I... I I want to shake your hand, right? right. But yeah, right. but here's the thing is that like that leads to certain things that Matt Matt described earlier and at an early age like those are things and then it's you know uh sexting. You know that's a big thing with kids. Like you're telling me that that a boy uh, uh, asks a girl for a video of of her naked and then he's not going to go to the locker room and then show all the boys. Do you know what that does emotionally to a girl? Now but, but again, these are the conversations that we need to have so that not only are our boys not asking for that and driving that because we are the driver and the consumer of this, but also so that our girls feel confident that that's not their value and they don't have to give into those things and that their standards need to be above that. So we need stronger men. Yes. We need yes. stronger men, fa- stronger fathers that can educate their, their, their boys, their young boys and stand strong on how to really treat a woman. Yeah. Strong, stronger, but awareness is is what it is. It's, it's, and it's not necessarily a strength thing. It's an awareness. Like I'm sitting here and I'm most of the stuff I've never even heard. And, and I've Tyler, me and you've been buddies for years and and I'm not saying that's your fault. No, sorry, man. It's Tyler's fault. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just saying, you know, all about this. I have no idea. You're right. It took me going to, to go see Matt speak and Tyler invited me. You weren't invited, but Tyler just couldn't go. Exactly. (laughs) New friends, new life for me. And and I told Tyler afterwards, it was life changing, but it's almost a process when you, Finally get that awareness because the first thing that happens is you get angry. Right. You get angry because it's happening right underneath you and it's happening right next door. And then he gets to a point to where, well, I need to do something about it. I personally, and I'm sitting here today and Ben, you as well. Tyler has the information. He's been informed. He's been aware. Matt, you're the same. And it took me to hear it the first time. But I'm sitting here now saying, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. I mean, we can, make, we can be, have so much more power in this if we would simply educate and be a part of, and I still think it's men being men and yeah. educating young men to, to do the right thing. So, hey, I mean, Ben, you're in all together, brother. I don't know. Yeah. I don't care what you say. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, how can you hear this and not want to do something? Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we yeah. have to. You can't go back to just, just living. Just wait until you actually see the visual aspect oh, of it. See. And you see, you see the children that are trafficked, right? You see the 13-year-old. You mm. see you see the six-year-old in the Philippines that's been locked in a closet for 12 days oh, and has right. 15 customers a day. Jeez, I mean, right. how can you not do something? But here's the thing. As men, we're driving this as men. And that's what the men's advocacy group is really trying to address. Because what what are we designed to do as men? Protect. Protect. Yep. Protect. Yep. And we and yeah. we need to protect her. It's a saying that we say, protect her. 
And we may sure. not be we may not be the guy that goes out and orders a girl and um and 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 has you know a sexual activity with a girl and pays her for it. We may not be that, but even by just being, there's little things that we're doing that are contributing to right. that. And if we're not aware of it and we don't realize, because here's the deal is put in perspective, that girl is somebody else's daughter. That could be exactly. your daughter in exactly. 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, they, they all deserve the respect. The that's exactly respect. right. That is exactly so, right. You know, well, I would love any, any man listening to go to newfriendsnewlife.org and you'll see Get Involved. There's the Men's Advocacy Group. And I love we talk about Protect Her because one of our mottos too is to these women that we will stand behind you, we'll stand beside you, and if need be, we'll stand in front of you to ensure you are protected and can heal. And Tyler, you may talk about it. You're the MC for this event coming yeah. up on July 27th, but a free event for men, only 30 minutes. If you could take 30 minutes out of your Monday, July 27th, and hear Tyler interview another former professional athlete, Major League Baseball player, Adam LaRoche, and they talk about their faith. They talk about getting involved in joining this fight because that is what it is. It's all of us from as men, as fathers, men of God, wherever we fall in the spectrum to say, I'm going to watch my language. I'm going to watch my jokes. I'm going to watch what I value, what I watch on TV, what I look at peruse, because whether you have sons or daughters, whether you're a parent or not, this, these are universal values out there that we as men need to step up and join the fight. That's exactly right. And, and one thing in, in this, by the way, the, the, men's advocacy group, men's breakfast, uh, on July 27th. And you can go through the website and you can find it and we'll share some stuff on social media. Um, but the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that it doesn't take a professional athlete Mm -hmm. to make an impact, right? right? Every single man and boy has a platform, every single one and can make an impact. We talk about it all the time. What's our purpose? What's our, our purpose is to make an impact. And our, our purpose, and, and again, faith driven, right, Serve. is to defend yep. the defenseless. That's right. It's true. And so That's make true. sure that it doesn't, you don't have to be a Clayton Kershaw. You don't have to be an Adam LaRoche. You don't have to be a Darren Woodson to make a difference. You have a sphere of influence that you can affect. Imagine if you affect one person who affects another person. You I affect mean, what your that, own children. That's exactly right. Start with your own house. That's yeah. exactly right. Because exactly right. Again, this exactly is right. this is an industry that is the fastest growing criminal industry globally. Jeez. So, I mean, again, uh, the men's advo- advocacy group, and I'm, I've been on it for two years now, and I still can't get it out clean, but the men's advocacy group through New Friends, New Life here in Dallas. So if you're local, um, it's very simple. There's a ton of ways that you can get involved if it's just a, a monthly donation, if it's, hey, uh, my kid goes to this high school. I'd love for you guys to come speak to the, the football team or the lacrosse team or the tennis team or the basketball team, any of the teams. If you have a youth group uh, talking to boys, and this is boys specific in this, New Friends, New Life really focuses on the healing on the on the female side but um if you have anybody that that you want matt or i to come talk to we will come do it just give us give us a platform and we will come do it for you uh if you want to go on a bus tour when those pick back up that is an incredible way to see firsthand and like matt said we're going into affluent areas of dallas that you're like hold on oh yeah um there was a sting there last week uh Mm -hmm. a few months ago they were on the tour and literally drove by a bust of a human trafficking ring. Literally on the bus, you're looking at these, these uh, Johns and these pimps 
on the curb in cuffs as you drive by, like an area that you're like, what? Mm. Are you serious? <laughs> so, I mean, it's yeah. an incredible way just to see it. Um, and then, I mean, corporately, you can support corporately. If you are a company uh, that feels feels led to support this, you can support it corporately as well, You know, whether it's through donations or getting awareness into your company. Yeah. Let, let Matt come in and talk to the men in, in, in the company. I mean, there's so many ways you can do it. I also want to recognize, though, that this is a hard subject, and this is a very dark, evil, and if you get into it, it is a very evil-driven industry, and it's not for everybody. So listen, so just we don't want this episode to come off like, hey, we're guilting you in, and you have to do something, or you're right. a terrible person. Look, this is not for everyone. There's many ways that you can support um, but it's, again, it's as simple as having a conversation with your son, mm -hmm. yeah. having a, I mean, raising them in a way, just being aware of what you are consuming. And we're not saying that like, Hey, you need to, you need to go on a March and you need to do all this, but it is a huge problem. And right now in the United States alone, and we're just going to talk about cyber sex trafficking because that's a crazy deal. There are 4 million more children being cyber sex trafficked, trafficked today than there was this date last year. Uh, More. Last so, year? Last year, because of the pandemic, because the cyber sex trafficking, the demand for it is that much greater. Like, it is, it is insane how much we're consuming and how bad this pandemic has been for this industry and driving demand for it. So, Well, Matt, man, we, uh, we know we took some time out of your schedule today, man, but uh, you really have been informative to to this message and I know Tyler has been on fire for a long time and, and I know he's bringing us on and we just appreciate you, you know, bringing this awareness to our listeners mm -hmm. because there's a, you know, there's a long road ahead of us, but you know, one thing we said earlier today was, you know, it starts at home. Mm -hmm. It starts with us. First of all, it starts with awareness. Like Ben said, right. it starts with awareness and then it starts with us as home being leaders in our own homes and educating. Uh, I'm all in man. Uh, I nice. want, definitely want to be more involved than what I, that I have been, uh, been again, you're, you know, I'm pulling you Come anyway, you have no yeah. choice, Let's go. <laughs> but man, you are a true hero, brother. And I, and I know, oh, you. you know, mm -hmm. you know, we don't give, you know, men like you enough credit for spending the time and, and, and serving, uh, and being passionate about it. So, you know, we really appreciate your time today, man. And I'm, we're going to have you back on because, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to we're going to make some progress yep. and make a dent in this um, as us three men that are, that are sitting up on up here right now. Well, thanks so much. Thanks again for the opportunity, all you guys. And thanks to all who are listening, who now feel empowered that you'll know better than we do what you can do yeah. to help. So pray about it. Think about it. Ponder and get involved. So thanks, Darren, Tyler and Ben. Really appreciate all that you guys are doing. Thanks, Matt, thanks, Matt. so much. Appreciate you. Thanks, Matt.